This is Peter David, and you're listening to Superior Spider Talk, and I'm not wearing any pants. Welcome to the Superior Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Mark Chinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. Thanks for joining us for the 29th episode of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. I don't know. I think we kind of lost the intelligent conversation part there, Dan. But, but you know. In all the plugging? Yeah, but we'll push onward.com. For episode 29, we'll be discussing Superior Spider-Man number 26, answering some fan mail and discussing all the spider news that's fit to print or fit to podcast about, and then discuss some of our memories of a classic issue from our collection, and that would be Amazing Spider-Man number 312. Oh, I can't wait to do that. And if you can't wait to do that, too, you see what I'm doing here, Mark? This is a segue. <laughs> that's that's a intelligent conversation between two fans. Oh, sorry. Continue. Okay. It's a segue. If you, if you want to skip to a specific section as well, you can just use the chapter selection arrows on your player. Also, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. So let's get right to it, Mark. We're talking about Superior Spider-Man number 26. Are you all still with us? I hope you were after that fantastic intro. Yeah, it was one probably our worst intro yet. All right. So so now before we completely devolve into a Christopher Guest movie, uh, Superior Spider-Man number 26. Dan, I, um, I'm, I'm a fan of this issue. I thought that uh, it was very strong throughout, very tightly plotted. Uh, it might be the most succinct issue of Superior that we've received since maybe Superior 9. Yeah, I, I I'm right there with you, man. I, I and I've been reading all of your posts about how much you love this. <laughs> have, I, have I been writing that much about it, Dan? No, no, not at all. No, no writing at all. No, no, just just about twenty two hundred words, I think, on chasing amazing. But um, you know, I think probably the big thing to note here was you know kind of going into this issue. Uh, well, first of all, this was the big Green Goblin versus Hobgoblin showdown, and we'll get to how that worked out in a second, but. You know, something that kind of caught my eye as a curiosity going into this thing was the fact that we had three different artists working on this issue with Dan Slott on scripts. That would be Javier Rodriguez, Marcos Martin, and Humberto Ramos. And, you know, you kind of look at that and it makes you wonder and say, oh, did some people miss deadlines? Were there some scheduling issues? What's going on here? Uh, You know, you see too many artists on one regular size issue and you're wondering if this thing is going to be a train wreck or not. 
And to Slot's credit, his script really pulls it off. Um, I think that he tailors his script perfectly to each of these three very distinct artists. Um, you know, there was you know to- there weren't any tonal clashes between the art and the story. Um, I-, I really just need to applaud applaud Slot on this. What about you? Yeah, you know, I think this kind of highlights the the benefit of doing it with the Marvel style, quote unquote. You know. Slot's one of the few guys, I think, that's probably still using that style of writing the dialogue after uh, the artwork is complete. And I think it looks, you know, it works great here, uh, like you just said. So I'm right there with you. I, you know, normally these things seem like they might be rushed or they're trying to do it for cheap, you know, like and get a quick one in by using multiple artists. We saw that a lot on um, Scarlet Spider as it was finishing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess, like, also throughout its run, you know, kind of mix and match things. But here, you know, man, these stories are just so tailored perfectly for these artists, you know. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah, and just and just for those keeping score at home, um, Javier Rodriguez did the um, Spider-Man Avengers stuff. Uh, Marcos Martin did the Peter Mindscape stuff. And Humberto Ramos did the Green Goblin Hobgoblin fight. And, you know, you can, when you look at it, you know, you, you you can pretty much define, you know, tell that those are three very dis- different artists. Although I guess Rodriguez and Martin are a little more similar than what Ramos is. Ramos is his own is his own planet when it comes to artwork, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but um, I got to tell you, Dan, I was so happy to have Marcos Martin back on a Spider-Man book. I mean, he he did one of my favorite um, dance slot post-big time arcs with the um, No One Dies two-parter with the death of Marla Jameson. And, and, you know, Marcus Martin, he is just, his illustrations are just so expressive. And, and you know, I think in my post, I, I described him as like, I feel like his illustrations are almost how I dream. <laughs> and and so, so him doing the mindscape really worked for me. I, I thought... This made the Ghost Peter or whatever you want to call him sections of Superior Spider-Man the strongest they have ever been. Um, what about you? Yeah, I loved it. You know, if he did a comic book about you know uh, paint drawing on a wall, I'd buy it. Like, yeah. it would be so wonderful. He's he's great, and I miss having him on these books. You know, like this guy, he's great on Daredevil when he did Daredevil. But and you know, I love his other stuff outside of Marvel with like Brian K. Vaughn in Private Eye. But I want him back on Spidey. If I'm being, uh, if I'm being greedy, I want a Spidey Marcos Martin book. Yeah, I, I mean, and and you know, just for the record, I mean, we were talking, I think, in our last podcast about um, when when Ghost Peter showed up um, during the Venom altercation. That it, the, the moment just kind of lacked gravitas. It was a little glib. It was kind of high by. This this moment to me felt like it, it emotionally resonated, um, and you know obviously Slot's script has a lot to do with it and how it was handled dif- differently from what it was in twenty five, but man this 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 art just drove it home. Um, just watching the, the the barrenness of the mindscape with these little classic homage illustrations of like Peter and Uncle Ben and Aunt May and. Uh, uh, it, it's just I, I could you know just just drool into a microphone for an hour, but that probably wouldn't make uh, for a compelling audio for you all. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved all the little details. Like if you got like a magnifying glass out, I'm sure you could find even more of the little like you know stories that are going on in the background. 
to the point that I kind of wish we didn't get that reveal in 25. You know, I, I, you know, I know it's there to hook the people that might have picked that book up just because of Venom on the cover. But, like, man, you know, imagine this is the first return of Peter that we got. Like, that would have been really something. Um, oh, I, I would have been – you would have had to scrape me off the floor if this came out of nowhere in a yeah. good way. Um, so, I mean, as for that scene, let's talk about that for a second. So, you know, we talked a little about, a little bit about this in the last episode, especially as it pertains to, um, the digital Spider-Man series that's going to come out in April, uh, where the, the plot is described as, as Spider-Man having amnesia. Um, it definitely looks like that is the direction that the main series is going to be going into because we have, uh, the sequence where Peter is talking about, how a lot of his memories have been erased, all mostly, mostly all of them, except for the ones that that Otto um, has chosen to retain. And you know, Peter is kind of struggling, and again, it's setting up the him overcoming the odds as he always tends to do throughout his his story. Um, but there was that one line about kind of what was it, boiling it into a, a crucible, so burning to speak. it into a burning. crucible. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, burning it into a crucible, and and you know, so. You know, it kind of leaves you wondering what we're going to be dealing with when Amazing Spider-Man reboots in April. Yeah, it's kind of what I always figured they were going to be doing, which is just doing the, like I've said before, doing the brand new day thing, kind of, where they get back to the essence of the character. Um, and uh, that's always what I imagine they're doing. So they're doing it this time in a way that I find a lot more organic. I mean, I feel like I should be kind of upset about this, that like they're like seemingly throwing away a lot of... Spider-Man continuity, but I'm kind of okay with it because it was done. Um, it seems to be done so well and so organic to the story. Like, if he loses his memory of these events, like I'm gonna be like, that's sad. Like, that's a tragedy. It's not doesn't seem to be forced by some editorial mandate. Yeah, I mean, it. it like you said, it's organic. It makes sense. I mean, it it, it gives true consequences to what has happened to him. I mean, you know, he he. Is he has died, quote unquote? Um, his memories have been erased. There needs to be consequences, right? I mean, if 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 they just brought him back and everything was hunky dory again, um, it, it would have made the last eighteen months of our lives kind of irrelevant, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, Mark, and 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 my life relevancy is solely based on my my reading of Spider Man, but. Uh, uh, Talk about talk about over overreaching in my argument here, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I mean I see what you're saying. Although I will say that, like you know, looking forward to the future, you know, I hope it doesn't end up being like the whole mind erase thing or the the this identity spell where it's like, what does and doesn't he remember? And we're playing with that for like 20 issues. I want it to be really clear, like what this is and how it works. If that's the route we're going to be taking. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 you know, the other thing to keep in mind is we've, we, we have kind of traversed this ground a bit, whether it's driven by the editorial powers at Marvel or, or, or otherwise. You know, we had, I mean, you obviously referred to Brand New Day, which kind of was getting back to the essence of the character. We had that, that wonderful Burn Mackie reboot in the late 90s, which was, again, kind of like getting back to the essence of the character and, and starting from zero. And, you know, Certainly for Burn Mackey, I mean, less so for Brand New Day. Those those uh, reboots and, and and getting to the essences weren't always warmly received. So you know, it, it is it is dangerous ground to be treading. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it seems to be one that Marvel's wanted all along. Um, I want to talk about this scene overall, like, you know, in, in a broader picture. Um, I really loved one, the illustration hammers this home. Um, in like several pages, we have Peter, you know, looking through his memories and realizing that like he is not a hundred percent who he once was. How can he defeat Dr. Octopus if he, you know, if he lost before and now he's not even what he used to be. And then he's like looking down and looking, you know, forlorn. And by the end of it, he is his his posture has changed. He's standing up straight and he's looking strong and up. And I think in these like two or three pages, we get the essence of like who Peter Parker is as a character. And it made me very excited about like his return and for how he's going to be written because he's always been that guy. And there were people that got really upset about issue nine when he doubted himself. But Peter has been all – he always doubts himself before going back to his core and saying, you know, what is it that makes me me? And oftentimes that's the Uncle Ben, you know, uh, motto um, that we all know so well. Um, right. And he reasserts it and, and comes out stronger and, and he's able to win, you know, in the end. In fact, that's how all the old classic issues were. He'd lose to the villain the first time and then come back and trump them after thinking it through. And I think – in these three pages, we get a Peter Parker story incomplete. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, heck, he was he was ready to quit by uh, well, he was ready to quit in ASM one, and then he was ready to quit again in ASM three, and then he was ready to quit again in, in ASM seven, eight, nine. I mean, you know, it was just it's just always kind of been Peter's mo is is like you said this 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 self doubt and and you know this really does feel true to the spirit of of. The original character, I, 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 you know, I, I, you know, there's a part of me that um, after many, how many years has Dan Slott been on this book now? I mean, it's been him solely since 2011, right? Yeah. You know, there's a part of me that says, oh, you know, maybe, maybe get someone new on the book, you know, like, like, you know, I, I, I would hate to see um, this become like Chris Claremont and X-Men because, you know, that, that could get a little tired, but you know, I, I, I'm definitely into seeing what slot, slot can do for another, you know, 20, 30 issues with Peter again to see see where the, where this is headed. Yeah, I'm not really like anticipating his return or his exit of the book when we get issues like this. Yeah, definitely. Um, so um, do you want to talk a little bit? Well, how about before we transition to some of the other stuff? Um, what about Peter quoting ASM 33 in this one. Yeah, that was pretty. That course, was pretty nifty, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, you and I have been waiting for that moment for a while. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, I, I we we kind of got a tease to us in Superior 19, but I mean, that was really the moment that drove it home. It does make me wonder. Um, you know, I know that this was planned all along, yada yada yada. But you know, part of me wish that they could have found a way to push Superior to 33 issues because you know to have to have some kind of cover that was an homage to that one and have like the final chapter on it. I think really would have just sold. Um, clearly how much slot values that story in in the mythology of spider-man i would have to think it would sell them a lot of comic books too yeah well you know we we, we're just giving them a license to print money but they don't have to listen to us (laughs) um let's talk a little bit about um spider rock and the avengers and i the keyword is little because this probably was the least interesting part of the book right 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was definitely the least interesting of the three stories, mostly just because I feel like we've kind of been there and done that already. Yeah, I mean, I'll say the the added bonus of having the the Avengers look dumbfounded at at Spider Rock as he jumped out the window, kind of in his like fit of "You can't fire me, I quit," um, was was definitely worth a few chuckles from me. But um, yeah, we've been there, we we've done that. I mean, I I, I think it, the only thing that changes the stakes a little bit is. Um, I mean, the, the Avengers clearly know something is up. They can't prove it because, he, you know, Otto has erased the files, et cetera, et cetera, um, which just kind of ties into this, like, little seething complaint I've, I've, I had with, with, you know, some fans that keep kind of harping on this idea that, oh, you know, the, the Avengers are stupid. They're not doing anything because, I mean, like, you know, I'm just looking at how things are being presented and maybe I'm just buying too much into how Slot is setting things up. But, I mean, w- what can the Avengers actually do here? I mean, there is no evidence, right? I, I guess not. I mean, I would if I were the Avengers, I would take him, pin him down and take him to go see, like, Professor X or, like, Doctor well, Strange he, or something. Well, Professor X is dead. That's true. That is true. But there's got to be another tell. I mean, Wolverine even says it in this issue. He knows some psychics. Like, right. But I mean, I do think like Otto's comeback is is a relevant one, which is that you know what? How many times have I been accused of murder, of of some kind of villainy, of, of being a menace, of this, of that, of that? And now is the time you're doubting me. It, but he's it, not exactly a. Uh, it's not exactly a. Uh, an accusation anymore like it's pretty blatantly obvious no i i get that my thing is like i just don't know what 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 is expected to be accomplished by that you know what i mean like i like i feel that you know and and i was initially peeved by it when in superior seven they did the the test and the conclusion was you're not a scroll um and you know i thought it was kind of a lame punchline but like for me, it was kind of like, all right, they 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 went the obvious route of what they would look for, considering you know secret invasion and all that. So what what else is going to happen at this point? So 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 I mean, the other thing is, so what? They they prove he's Otto. What happens next? <laughs> they don't have the technology to reverse it. Yeah, I I I don't know, but you know, I don't know. When they stared at him leaving, I was kind of. Their dumbfounded look echoed mine. I was just like, "What? Well, what now? Like, go after right. him, you know?" Well, no, but I think like he, like he just sealed his fate in that scene. It's like they don't need to go after him. He's 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 out there. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. it's it's, it, it's like okay, he's clearly he's clearly gone crackers. We'll deal with that later. <laughs> what, what happens the next time he takes his giant arachnots into town and has a parade, you know? Like what what are they going to feel like? <sighs> nah, you know. I guess oh, it well. just doesn't bother me as much. I I guess that's just what it boils down to. I I like to me I'm not reading this this comic book series to see Spider-Man fight the Avengers. No, I, me I, neither. Know. I just, you know, it just seemed like we got this big tease at the end of the last issue, like what's going to happen? And then I was like, well, we're still kind of at the same place now. I mean, it's a little different, but not much. Well, Although, I think I think that the, I was going to say, if we're in a new place, it's that I think he's now completely on his own. I think I think they're not even going to bother trying to find out what's wrong anymore. That's that's my theory. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, one thing it, I did like about the Avengers storyline, it has a lot to do with the art of uh, Rodriguez, is that full page we get of them disarming the Spider Minions and the AIM uh, mm-hmm. like people um, with and with all of their different abilities of the Avengers. I thought that was a really fun page by Rodriguez. Yeah, but then with the the exclamation point of Cap catching his shield back at the end, which yeah. I thought was pretty slick. Um, you know, got to give Cap his moments as we lead into April. I wonder why. <laughs> um, but um, no, it was it was like I said, it felt probably of all the stories, the tertiary one, which is kind of funny because it's still superior Spider-Man's book. Sure. Um but um, why don't we just kind of quickly gloss over the rest of that and talk about some goblin fights, which is what this issue was actually sold on, right? Yeah, and this is the most fun one to talk about, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not philosophical or pensive the way the, the, the Mindscape stuff is. I mean, this is just this is just a throwdown, slobber knocker fight that's been building, except there's a twist, and I know that some people weren't totally cool with the twist, right, Dan? Are, are you referring to me? Well, I, we, we talked a little bit about it beforehand, and I didn't know you weren't wild. I think there are some who feel more strongly about it negatively than you do. But, okay. you know, we could, we, we, could, we could take your idea and, and talk about it from the more, well, what didn't you like about it, Dan? Let's go. Let's start with that. Well, you know what? I, I like it, and I think it makes sense. Uh, what you're referring to is the reveal that the Hobgoblin is not Kingsley, and it is someone um, – who has been used? The Winkler device has been used on them. And fans, if you don't know what the Winkler device is, hey. uh, <laughs> no, uh, that's not it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish it was, um, but uh, yeah, just like Mark and the No Prize. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know what the Winkler device is, it's a, it's the device that the Hobgoblin Robert Kingsley uh, uh, used to. Uh, not uh, Rotten Robert Kingsley, Roderick. What am I talking about? <laughs> Roderick Kingsley used to brainwash uh, all the people that used to be the Hobgoblins or various fake Hobgoblins through the ages. And Mark actually just wrote an awesome write up for my website about this. Yes, fake Hobgoblins. It's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, my, I guess, you know, my problem isn't really that he used it in this issue because that makes total sense. For his character, you know, like he is he is all about self-preservation, you know, uh, he's a smart guy and he knows when he should join the fight. And if that's one of the things he's used in the past, then so be it. Like, let him use that now. My my concern, though, is that in future, you know, uh, Kingsley stories or Hobgoblin stories, I'm going to be, you know, suspecting that the Winkler device is involved and that it might remove some of my like uh, worries or fears or um, enjoyment of the character, knowing that there could always just be the Winkler device to get him out of a situation. And we've seen it used quite frequently recently, um, you know, with the Daniel Kingsley thing and now this and setting up for another one. So, you know, do I like the Winkler device? I think it's cool and, you know, it's fine that he used it. I just am not necessarily in love with the frequency with its, with its used because it kind of makes Kingsley into a character like the Jackal, which who I think has been kind of just pushed off to be this kind of silly character because 
he's basically a god because yeah. no matter well, how many a, times there's always a clone. <laughs> yeah, there's always a clone, and and I feel kind of the same way about Kingsley. It's not the same, but I worry that we could get to that place where it's like it's always the Winkler device. Do you see what I'm saying? No, I do, I do. And what's interesting is when you look at um, your spider history is you know. We we you know Kingsley in the in the eighties was presumed dead uh, after the whole Ned Leeds reveal, and you know we really didn't get him back until Stern did Hop Goblin Lives, and then we had the the Glenn Greenfeld um, Goblins at the Gate uh, three parter and Spectacular, and then he was like kind of retired again. Like you didn't we didn't hear from Roderick until big time. Um, I mean Dan Slott was the one who kind of reinvigorated the Roderick Kingsley stuff. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe it's time we retire Roderick for a while, you know, because, because like you said, um, maybe we're, we're, we're leaning on some chicanery that he's been doing a little too much. And it's, and it's now starting to kind of cut into the fun of the character. Yeah. I want to see him come back in a, in a way, I don't know if, if you could restore the mystery to Roderick anymore, but I would like to see him involved in some, scheme like that you know perhaps maybe the goblin goes you know high you know dormant after this upcoming goblin nation thing and you know it opens the door for roderick to make an appearance i don't know what it's going to be but um you know uh the character i think he i like this idea of him selling these businesses but he needs something to restore that x factor to him personally beyond the mystery yeah i don't know i'm gonna go back to my original thesis of three seconds ago and say i think it's just a question of time uh, you yeah. know absence makes the heart grow fonder and and you know like it, it what you know in, in writing that post for your site and you know obviously all the hobgoblin stuff i've been writing on chasing amazing probably since the summer um it kind of has dawned on me just how much slot has put kingsley on the front burner again and it's like that was never what the character was you know he was either shrouded in mystery or you know, he was treated as a special event. And now it's kind of like, oh, you know, every five issues we get a Kingsley sighting. So, you know, maybe it's time we we we, we drop Kingsley for, for a couple of years. And, and, you know, so that way when he comes back, you're almost this, this whole stuff with the Winkler devices. And, you know, is it him? Is it someone else? It'll be in your mind because that's part of the character, but it won't feel so hackneyed. Perhaps the secret is playing with the Winkler device, because I have to say, while not perfectly handled, the Daniel Kingsley thing was a really welcome surprise. And so I wonder if playing with the Winkler device is a solution, or has that trick already been used? I don't know. Uh, I guess a topic for future discussion. Okay. Well, speaking of identities and who's under mass, do we want to talk about the Green Goblin some more? I thought we said we weren't going to do this anymore. Well, do we want to just address a couple of things that, um, you know, indicate that that are playing to who might be under the mask and then we can let our reader, our, our listeners come to their own conclusions? Yeah, I don't mind playing this game more. I know we swore off of it, but let's do it. OK, well, let's 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 point out some of the major things here. So we had um, during the fight, uh, the Green Goblin loses his shirt but not his mask and underneath is the the big gaping scar actually almost like a crater the way ramos illustrated it uh in his chest which we are to assume is from the um 
the uh, Goblin Glider that impaled him in Amazing Spider-Man number 122. Uh, we also got to see that scar in the uh, Night of the Goblin story in um, in uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man number 75. Uh, that was kind of the first time we saw when when Norman came back from the dead. So, okay, this, this seems to indicate Norman Osborn. But there were some things said in the text that this kind of drew you off the scent a little bit. And, and for me, um, well, Dan, I think you and I, when we were kind of conversing ahead of time, both kind of keyed in on this uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, you know, who, who quotes from All Quiet on the Western Front? As, does that sound like something Norman Osborn would read i mean it's a book about i mean it's obviously it's a very it's a very high-minded it's a very you know like probably college educated type of book uh for lack of a better phrase (laughs) it's the schnoz he's the schnoz yes (laughs) but yeah i mean you know it's 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 you know it's this is considered it's considered literature you know this isn't this isn't you know c-spot run here it does not uh, seem like something Normie would say for all the people out there that think Normie is the, you know, is, is the goblin, you know, like I don't right. imagine this kid quoting all quiet on the Western front. No. And it's also, I mean, it's a book that talks about war and kind of the atrocities of war and, and you know, from someone who's seen it like on the front lines. So like, yeah, no, I'm not saying Flash Thompson because I just, I, no, <laughs> right? No. That would be really strange. Yeah. It, that would just come out of nowhere. I, I, that, that, that would be a bad kind of reveal, but you know, like, so it's, it's someone who's, I feel like philosophical. I mean, you know, I almost would have, would have thought Roderick Kingsley if we didn't know any better. You sure. Know what I mean? sure. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, and then of course there's the scene where, you know, the, the hobgoblin who's not Kingsley obviously is, is assailing, the Green Goblin, and he's saying, you know, you know, who are you? Who is it? You're, you know, maybe you're, you're a fraud, and you know, maybe it's it's Osborne, but it's the failure. It's Harry, and he and the Green Goblin responds, "How dare you say that about my?" And then he gets cut off with a pumpkin bomb or something, right? I mean, whatever. He gets sure. he gets smacked around a bit. So it's my dot 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 son, father, half brother, ex husband. Pick Dan. I can't. I mean, it could be any of those things. My Best friend, myself. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. I uh my 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 clone. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and just to totally like be a, a real awful human being about this whole thing, I'm just going to go out there and say. There was some line in there about a copy of a copy of a copy, which kind of reminded me of the Clone Saga. And then I remembered that Ben Riley did get impaled by a glider. Of course, it was from the back, not the front. But hey, maybe his body got regenerated and his back is the front and there's the scar. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Mark, Mark throwing it out there. I, I can't wait to see the Internet explode with Ben Riley is the goblin stories. Well, Stephen Wacker had always said that there would be no Ben Riley as long as he was on the spider books. And he's leaving. So. This is like one of those classic Ditko leaving over the identity of the goblins things. You know. <laughs> so who is so – so it's going to be uh, – what's his name? It's John Ramita Sr. then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Nick, we'll get to that in the Spider News. Um, so, right, Green Goblin. I mean I'm not going to change my guess, which – if you didn't listen to the last episode, it was Sylvain Gonzalez, although I don't feel very comfortable about that guess anymore. 
Yeah. Um, but hey, you, you know, Dan, do you want to do you want to update anything on that? Or are you good? No, I mean, I still think it could possibly. I mean, like all evidence points towards Norman Osborne. I guess. I mean, right? I mean, all that stuff all clearly says Norman Osborne to me. But like, it seems so obvious, you know. I feel like if this ends up just being Norman after like the events of the last few issues, like Norman, like no, 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 no Norman with a twist, just Norman. This would be like the greatest trolling effort in the history of comic books. Yeah, this is an. I, I wrote this in my review. This is an orgy of evidence. And yeah. When was the last time any comic book writer gave you an orgy of evidence? But still not what's under the mask. I know, and that's the thing. And we've that's still got that missing Dr. Octopus body. I, I'm telling you, man, I would not be surprised. And, okay, I'm not changing my guess because I'm not doing that to you people. But I'm, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if it's Norman's brain in somebody's body. I don't know what significance that would hold, except for maybe pitting a decomposing Dr. Octopus body against Peter Parker again. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. Let's move on. Let's actually talk about this uh, part of the story outside of speculation, shall we? Okay. Well, what else do you want to talk about here? Okay. So Ramos in this sequence. I just want to say this is Ramos doing large-scale, like, right, like – he nailed it here. It's easy to read and see what's going on, but you can still get the background action that he's always trying to do. Okay, so best character in it is the dude with the eight ball on his head. Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, he has his own little story in the background uh, as he gets locked up in a cage at the very end. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> I got to go back and look now. Yeah, he gets, <laughs> he gets locked up. Um, but, like, the... The, the I love his goblins. Like I think they might be amongst my favorite drawings of the goblin ever. And man, that watching this this is the drag out fight. And we're going to talk about the fight between the goblins with another artist who's pretty extreme. But this this to me is this is some some artwork. Well, what, what can I say? Yeah, um, it definitely. It I mean, like you said, it's the all hell breaks loose Ramos that we know and love, um, but better. Yeah, I think I wonder if it has to do with like the coloring in this one because there's such a clear color distinction between the goblin and the hobgoblin, you know, um, that makes it like clear who is who and doing what. But um, you know, I, I just thought this was easy to read and just a ton of fun. Um, and so is the way the story played out. You know, seeing these two kind of in front of their armies, it reminded me a lot of like you know back in the Crime Master days. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you've got the goblin kind of standing up against this army of you know stooges and stuff, I, it really felt classic to me, but also modern and fun. So I wanted to make a call out to that. No, oh, definitely, absolutely. Anything else in Superior Twenty Six, Dan? I don't think so. You know, I I really can't wait for Goblin Nation. You know, if you know, we listen to the you know solicits and interviews. Like Axel Alonso bought this story. Uh, based on the pitch for Goblin Nation, the whole superior art thing he he bought on how it ends, and if this is just the prelude to it, like I cannot wait to see how this story plays out. It really does feel like it's going to be Slot's magnum opus. I, I, I and I know like he's already talking up what he's been plotting for the new Amazing relaunch, but like there's there's I'm 
feeling and anticipating the epicness of this arc. I just uh, and, and I hope I'm not disappointed, but like I, I I don't I don't I wasn't this excited before Spider Island. I wasn't certainly wasn't this excited before Ends of the Earth. I think this is gonna be awesome. I just I'm I'm ready to be amazed by it. And I'm I'm ready for anything because Spider Island was a highlight for me, and Ends of the Earth was I think a low light for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I mean I would be happy with with anywhere in between. But uh, if we can get something back to the Spider Island, and this time I have there's villains that I think actually have like stakes. Like I'm ready to go, I'm ready to go into this thing. Yeah, I'm gonna say the the goblins are you know a little more significant than the jackal and the spider queen, but um, but no, I'm 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 ready to go. So, but let me give you my grade on go Superior Twenty Six. I'm giving it an A, Dan. This is only the second A I've given since we've done Superior Spider Talk. Um, so, yep, I really really like this issue. I'm right there with you, Mark. I'm uh, this is my second favorite issue of. Superior Spider-Man, I think, behind uh, number nine and number nine, number nine. Um, I'm giving it an A minus. I think it's a really good book, but I do think that the Avengers storyline was a little weak and Spider-Man was kind of strangely absent from this book, Uh, although we do have a lot of Peter. So uh, on those merits, I'm giving it an A minus. Awesome. So why don't we get to some comments and emails? Yes, we uh, we like to read your comments and feedback and email on the air and answer uh, any questions you might have. So uh, if you want to email us, of course, that address is superiorspidertalk at gmail.com. And uh, if you're going to leave us a comment, please go to the iTunes store and, and review us. Give us give us some stars and leave us a review under the Superior Spider Talk podcast. You can find us by searching on Superior Spider Talk or just by writing Spider-Man. We come up pretty pretty quickly still, right, Dan? Yep, we're right near the top. That's good to hear. So uh, let's take it away. This is from iTunes. This is a wonderful show, and it's five stars, and it's by Zach Arun. And if I'm mispronouncing your handle, I apologize. Uh, and Zach Arun writes, This is truly a wonderful show for true fans of the character to really have, or listen to rather, a very intelligent discussion about the state of everyone's favorite web, web slinger. I look forward to each episode, whatever it comes out, really improves my morning commute. And let me tell you, I, I, I can relate to that one, right, Dan? Oh, do you listen to the show on your commute? I listen to this show. I listen to most podcasting is kind of my thing to do in the morning when I'm when I'm because I'm in New York City. So I'm taking the subway. I'm in South Brooklyn. It's about 40 minutes in for me each way. So podcasting is the way to go. And the way we've been podcasting lately, I get through about half an episode of commute. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try to speed that up too a little bit here. <laughs> Uh, we got an email here. Why don't you read this one, Dan? Okay, yeah. So one of our emails comes from Tim Z. He's writing to us again. He says, I just heard the news about Parker returning in April, and to me, that's a bummer. I knew it would eventually happen, but Spider-Ock has been a, had a great run, in my opinion. I'm sure you guys are going to talk about Ock's time in Spider-Man in greater detail, but I guess my question is, uh, were or are things better off with Spider-Ock or with Peter Parker? Now, I don't know if he means... 
uh, better off in terms of like the world of Marvel or the comic book. But Mark, uh, let's tackle his first question. Uh, what do you What do you think? You know, I've been hearing this from a lot of people and, and, you know, oh, you know, don't bring Peter back or, you know, Spider Spider Rock forever. And, you know, like I've really enjoyed Superior Spider-Man more than I thought I would. But, man, I I am ready for I'm ready for a real hero again. I want Peter Parker back in my books. I'll take Peter Parker with less memories. I'll take Peter Parker without being married. I'll take Peter Parker with, you know, whatever. Uh, as long as he's not making deals with the devil, I guess I can deal with it. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, you know, like it's there's something to be said about you know. I think people come to people became Spider-Man fans because he is he is an unquestionable hero. He's not an anti-hero, and and you know, a lot of a lot of the Marvel characters that have kind of risen in popularity, especially over the last 20, 30 years, they're kind of more of those. They walk the line, the Wolverine types, uh, Venom, Hulk, who's not really bad, but, you know, does bad stuff unintentionally sometimes. And what I've always liked about Spider-Man is there is a certain purity to it. He's not a flawless character, but... There's a purity to to his motivations. It's with great power must also come great responsibility. It's an unquestionable creed. Um, so I'm ready for that back of my title. Uh, it's been fun, Spider Rock, but you know, adios. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I, you know, he uh, Tim also asked. You know, he says, you know, that Doc Ock's character has changed over the years, while Parker is still basically the same Boy Scout do gooder do gooder. And he says, you know, you guys know a lot about Spider-Man. Maybe I have the wrong impression of Peter Parker. And you know what? I don't know that Boy Scout Do-Gooder is necessarily incorrect. I mean, he is. But, but what makes him special is that he kind of represents the best of, like, all of our intentions. You know, everybody in their life goes through trouble and tries to make the best out of it. And, you know, that's what Peter Parker is. He, you know, he doubts himself, but he... He gets put in bad situations and, and, and tries to do his best. And I'd like to think, you know, I know at least for myself, I relate to the character because that's how I approach the world. Um, for me, Doc Ock has been really fun to read because there's a lot of drama there. But when I, got, when I grew up and, you know, even just a few years ago reading, you know, the big time and stuff, I, you know, and, and even Brand New Day, I actually kind of liked the Brand New Day because I got a different story each week that, I could like laugh at or like smile or like kind of see my old friend there who's also fighting alongside me. And it was, it was a delightful like break in my week where I go, you know what? Like, here's a story about someone, you know, doing the same thing I'm doing, fighting through my week. And I haven't gotten that fix in quite a while. So I am ready for him to come back. All right. Well, why don't we uh, move on to this other email we got? Uh, this is from uh, Daniel Kibler. Is uh, He writes, Hello, love the podcast. I was just wondering, what do you think of the faux Daily Bugle on Tumblr and how will it apply to future villains that may appear in the Amazing Spider-Man sequels, namely Ned Leeds, The Sin Eater, and The Clone Saga? He's referring to the movie stuff, right, Dan? Yeah, there's a Tumblr uh, page that's going up that's putting out Daily Bugle articles or faux Daily Bugle articles. Mm. Um, and uh, and they've had all these name drops in them of all these Spider-Man tertiary characters which we're going to talk a little bit about, I think, in the news section. But, 
Um, you know what? To me, I think that the movie just went out, and they, the people doing the advertising for the movie paid top dollar for some advertising campaign, as you've seen before, this kind of underground, like, you know, um, subtle, you know, uh, viral movements of marketing that, you know, like, remember, I don't know if you remember this, when, like, The Dark Knight came out, they, like, lit up a building in New York with the Batman symbol. Did you see that, Mark? I did, I did. I mean, I didn't see it in person, person, but I saw it in the news. Yeah, yeah, I was actually there, and it was really fun, back when I lived in New York. Um, and uh, that's what I think is going on here. I don't think these are actual teases for characters in the movie. I think it's just a part of an ad campaign. Is that is that your takeaway on this, Mark? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, like, although, you know, and again, we'll get to this in a minute, you know, with all the casting announcements, it does, it does make you wonder. They definitely, there definitely seems to be intent on building a universe right now. I mean, they obviously want um, a cast of characters to rival what Marvel Studios currently has going on with the Avengers. Um, but you know, if, if putting these little teasers in, in the Tumblr feed about, you know, people like Ned Leeds or the senator, if that gets people excited and makes the hardcore fans want to go see a movie, then, you know, that's, that's, that's money well spent, right? Yeah. There's like two people out there that are excited about the senator being in a movie. One of them is probably our good friend Tyler Barless, but you know, <laughs> otherwise, <laughs> shout out to you, Tyler. Um, so, um, with that said, then we're we're we're, we're done with our mail. Uh, again, that email address is superiorspidertalk at gmail dot com, and of course, leave us reviews and stars on iTunes. We 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 will read those reviews as well on the air. All right, let's move into some spider news. Dan, so the big, big news, and this just just broke. It sounds like um, we got Nick Lowe, who has been working on the X books for a while, is going to be replacing Stephen Wacker as Spider-Man group editor. Yeah, it's pretty. I mean, I mean, it's sad to see Stephen Wacker go, but you know, it's nice to see someone who's managed a number of books, you know, come on, you know, someone of a good pedigree, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't read the X books. I got to be honest. Like, yeah, me neither. But I stopped reading X Men in the nineties. Um, but um, you know, I was kind of following some comments on Twitter and, and and on some of the message forums about this Nick Lowe announcement. And I guess a lot of people were thought that um, Battle of the Atom, which was one of the big X Men stories of the past year, was really well constructed in terms of the fact there were a lot of different writers and artists working on it. Um, so that would be a credit to Lowe. Um, so, you know, um, depending on how big the Spider-Verse is, uh, comic book-wise, you know, maybe he'll get to show off his, his organizational skills like that, right? <laughs> yeah, so welcome, Nick Lowe, uh, to the book. We're excited to see what you got in store. Yeah, and then in terms of news involving another Nick, this is Nick Spencer. Uh, and, um, oh God, I always say Larry Lieber, um, Steve Lieber, <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of Stan's brother, uh, Stan, it's yeah, Stan Lee's brother is Larry Lieber people in case you didn't know. Uh, but then again, this is coming from the guy who didn't know what a no prize is. So, um, I shouldn't be lecturing <laughs> anybody. 
Um, but the news about Nick Spencer and not Larry Lieber is Superior Foes of Spider-Man, probably the critical darling of the Spider-Books, will be sticking around past the end of the Superior Error in April, which I think is great news. It said at least 12 issues, right, Dan? That was what I read? Well, that was the uh, what he said. The original pitch was only to do 12 issues, and now it's been extended beyond that. So. <laughs> That's just great news. This book is this book is wonderful. Um, it's been wonderful. I wasn't as crazy about the Lady Beetle origin issue as I think a lot of other people were. Yeah, but, no, it was not a favorite of mine. Um, but I still thought it was, a, you know, it's like that, that 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 comic was kind of like you know mediocre pizza. It's still pizza. It was tasty. I enjoyed it. Um, it just was missing a little something. Um, you know, and that's pizza in New York for all you you know non pretender pizza eaters out there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just rolling in it right now, Dan. Yeah. Um, but no, this is great news. Um, I, I I'd love to see this this series run as as high as Marvel will allow us uh, ongoing series to hit these days, which is probably what twenty two issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think if it keeps selling well and and keeps being loved by critics, they'll they'll hold on to it as long as they can, and yes. I certainly hope so because it's. One of the highlights of my buying piles. So, all right, and then uh, another little bit of news um, from the editorial side is uh, Axel Alonso, who, um, who is the editor in chief of Marvel, uh, recently gave uh, an interview. This one is the CBR interview, right, Dan? Yeah, he does his um, his like what used to be the Cup of Joe, and now it's uh, like interviewing Axel in charge. Axel right? in charge, yeah. So. Uh, the last thing in that entire interview is a question about the the future of the f- family of Spider books. Um, you know, once they relaunch, amazing. And uh, Axel Alonso says, uh, with "A family of Spider books with Dan Slot. You're thinking way too small." Yeah, I I I I got nothing on this. I think I think in a, in a bit of a drug-induced stupor. No, I, I don't do drugs, but uh, I sent you an email, Dan, where I was like, maybe they're talking, like, different timelines, and we're gonna have, like, alternate timelines, Spider-Man? It was uh, a crazy email you sent me that I think I promptly ignored. Yeah, uh, thank you. And and, uh, and I was joking about the drug-induced stupor, folks. This, this is just stuff that pops into my head sometimes when I don't sleep enough. I do have a young child. This is from uh, the guy who's putting out there that Ben Riley might be the Green Goblin. Well, you know... We could we could throw anything against the wall at this point, see what sticks. But yeah. you know, <laughs> with Spider Man, that's more likely to happen. Yes, but I mean, we got we got twenty ninety nine running around. We got obviously Peter. We have Superior Spider Man. Um, I know Miles seems to be firmly entrenched in uh, the Ultimate Universe. In fact, a, a, a good friend of mine, Michael Fife, is going to be working on the, uh, the kind of the new Ultimates book, right, Dan? Yeah, it's pretty cool that you know this guy. Yeah, I, I, this, I've, I've, I've had beverages with this with this guy. He used to work with my wife. It's a pretty good thing. Uh, and, and you should read his book, Copra, too. It's his, his creator-owned. He did the whole thing himself, for what it's worth. He, he, he wrote, penciled, inked, colored, published, distributed it all by himself. And this is kind of what get, gave him a name and pick, got, got him on Marvel's radar. But I'm totally digressing here. Uh, Axel Alonso and his Think Small, I, 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 or we're thinking too small. I don't know, man. It's I feel that those May solicits are going to be very telling. So we probably got what another two weeks that we got to sit tight on this. Yeah, you know, if they even decide to release all that, I mean, 
if it's any bigger than what we're doing now with all these books that we have, I mean, I guess now it's starting to die down, but there was a while there where it was like, I mean, December was like, here's like 10 spider books, <laughs> like go. Yeah. But a lot of that too was those, like that deluge of point ones. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, I, I, as I said in the last podcast, I would be into another series that wasn't necessarily a B title that kind of had equal clout to amazing. And, you know, and with some of the names that were being tossed around like a Peter David or a Matt fraction, I think that they're the kind of creators that can, um, that can make a book about the spider verse be of equal footing to amazing. So, uh, I, I really do hope it's something along those lines. I, I, I just, I hope it's not just another generic, team up book or something um i bet we see team up get canceled and uh and the, you get your b spider-man book like a 2099 book somewhere yeah. out there yeah i mean a, a book it's something that is connected to this universe but also kind of separate you know like like you know and and i hope it's someone like peter david or matt fraction working on it or or, or anybody but i mean you know like someone someone with some real chops and experience and you know eisner awards don't hurt either yeah yeah i mean and, and those are the things i like the best the kind of like loosely connected so that it doesn't have to like interfere with the actual storyline and stuff like that like i'd love to see a 2099 book just spin out of this that does its own thing you know um i mean you got to think about the fact that there was a time in the in the 80s where you would have tom defalco ron friends on amazing Peter David on Spectacular, and then David Michelinie who on Webub. Now, granted, Webub wasn't as good then, but you know, Michelinie is obviously a, na- a name with clout in the comic book industry. Like, I, I, I want to get back to that era on the Spider books again. Do you really? I do. I don't, but that's interesting. Really? What do you mean? Uh, let's let's quickly divert on that. What do you? What, why wouldn't you want to see that, Dan? Well, I mean, those writers were all pretty great, but like, you know, I think back to like Friendly Neighborhood and Sensational. Like, those books I felt were completely unnecessary, you know, that I never thought that their stories were really that fantastic, and, like, that actually was Peter David, Um, but uh, I don't know, I I like this whole, like, pure single title with team-ups on the side, I think, has been really, like, you know, it hasn't wavered so much from, like, telling one clear story, and when you've got all these other books that begin to question, like, who is where and how – like I think they got really loose and away from each other. Um, and maybe in this day and age it would be run differently. But I, I like it when I, there's a clear and precise storyline through one book that has like kind of sub-stories that relate to it rather than having kind of three different guys going full force trying to tell the same story of the same dude. I hear you, but I mean, you know that that the the other method that you're describing, the one that I'm advocating for. I mean, that's that's generated some really awesome content. I mean, you know, like think about the the J.M. DeMatteis and Sal Buscema era on Spectacular Spider-Man in the early '90s. I mean, you know, you get like things like the Child Within on that as as McFarlane and and Eric Larson are working with Michelinie on those stories. It's it's you know like it, it, there's there. You know, if you give someone the right amount of creative freedom, I mean, they could really, really generate some awesome stuff. And then you just have you, you just have copious amount of stuff. I mean, you know, I'm thinking about it in terms of even how I'm writing about it on Chasing. You know, I write about the main title and then all these B-series come out. And, you know, like I'm like I'm 
looking at a team up book and I'm like, what do I even say about this book at this point? You know, <laughs> like it's just like, all right, we're, we're, we're doing another one of these things. <laughs> so, uh, I'd love to have something that I could really dive into and dissect and, 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 you know, enjoy as, as it's kind of own separate thing. But, you know, this is, this is one of the few times we disagree, Dan. So let's, let's relish in it. Okay. I'm relishing it. Relished. Okay, last bit of news, some Spider-Man movie news. Why don't you take this away, Dan? Yeah, well, during the Super Bowl, the, you know, right before the Super Bowl, we got the first half of a like 30-second teaser, which uh, famously showcased Spider-Man leaping at the end to sit, catch Gwen and spinning and crashing through a building, which got a lot of speculation going about them showing Gwen's death. And then we got the second half of that during... The Super Bowl, which was this flash bang boom of a trailer, um, and teased a website, enemywithin.com, or enemiesunite, sorry, enemiesunite.com, which showed the four minute long Spider Man, Amazing Spider Man 2 trailer. Um, and you can go and watch all that stuff. I got a thing up on my site that has all three of them on it. Um, and it showed a lot of new footage. Um, and. Even what I think is probably the death of Gwen Stacy sequence. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, did you watch the trailer? I, I have not yet, Dan. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just, for reasons that are hard to describe, I'm, I'm not totally amped about this movie. But, you know, I'll get to it. <laughs> I think every new trailer I get more worried about it. Um, but... You know, there's some good things in there and some things I'm worried that we're going to have. My biggest concern, I'll say it right now, we can come back to it because I, I don't really want to like prejudge the film. But I'm worried that we're going to get a very cocky Peter Parker um, that's not particularly relatable like we got at the end of the first one. And if they're going for like a broader origin story where he loses his cockiness via the death of – Gwen Stacy, okay, maybe I'll buy that, but I don't know that I want to watch another movie of him kind of being the jerk that he is before he realizes the Uncle Ben story uh, or the Uncle Ben moment. Uh, but I'm, I'm especially worried about these movies because we kind of didn't get an Uncle Ben moment in the first one. So I don't know. Is that along the lines of your worries, Mark? Yeah, no, I, it's the, the, I, it, it was a tone issue for me. In, with the first movie and, and, you know, what I've seen of the trailers of the second one, I don't see that being resolved. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't make me eager to get overly excited about it. Whereas, you know, I, to be honest, I mean, of the, of the big, <laughs> of the big comic book movies coming out in the first quarter of 2014, I'm, I'm more stoked for the winter soldier, I'm, I, I'm actually right there with you. I can't believe I'm saying it. I was more excited for Spider-Man, but watching those Winter Soldiers thing, I'm like, this looks great. Yeah, and and that's got the the, the Ed Brubaker um, seal of approval on it too. Which, granted, you know, if people if people go see that movie, they'll probably buy the trade paperback version of his Winter Soldier arc on Captain America, which is a brilliant story if you haven't read it, people. Um, but I'm so I'm sure that's why he's hyping his this movie as well. But um, you know, it's just interesting. Like, like to me, like that movie seems to be striking the right tone for what the the character in the story is supposed to be. And I, I can't make heads or tails on what, like you said, a cocky Spider-Man. Um, you know, like it doesn't have to be paint by numbers on the comics, but you know, 
Gwen did just lose her father, and you know that kind of you know was a preface to a breakup uh, in the comic books during the the Stan Ramita Gil Kane days uh, between her and Peter. And you know it just seems like everything is fine and dandy there after the death of her father. So I don't know. Seems a little weird to me. <laughs> yep. Well, we'll see how it, what it's like in a couple months, and we'll let you know our opinions on it then. Um, in the meanwhile, we found out a little bit of news that B.J. Novak from The Office um, is going to be playing Alistair Smythe in the movie. Uh, Mark Webb dropped it in a tweet. I don't know if there's much to say about this. Um, Except when does Mindy Kaling join this, the, the cast? Uh, <laughs> Marla Jamison? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would be hysterical. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think he's actually going to be a quote-unquote villain in this movie. I see a lot of people on the internet going like, oh, my God, another villain for this movie? My guess is he'll just be supplying the uh, tech for the Goblin and and for uh, Electro to travel around the city. And uh, I suspect that's all that's really going to be going on. Uh, with him, maybe setting him up for a third movie, um, but uh, right. who who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe they really screw the origin and put him in the Doc Ock arms in the next movie. That would be kind of strange and interesting. I would I would kind of want to see B.J. Novak with eight arms. Like yeah. I don't know. Well, anyway, there's me throwing throwing crap out there again, folks. Well, why don't we get to an issue from our collection with Amazing Spider-Man number 312. Amazing Spider-Man 312, it's got that cover of the Hobgoblin and the Goblin facing off, and the, and it says, finally, you know, the, the fight you've been waiting for, just like the cover to uh, Superior Spider-Man that we got this time, number 26. Uh, what about, tell us more about this issue. Well, Dan, um, as we kind of alluded to in um, our last podcast when we talked about um, my, my favorite Venom story, Amazing Spider-Man number 300, uh, 312 is part of that Michelini Tom McFarlane run. So this is like the sweet spot of my young readership days. And I got to tell you, man, watch, getting to see Tom McFarlane uh, illustrate the goblins, both of them, even though it was like the bee goblins, because it was, keep in mind, at that point, Norman is dead. So it's Harry, Harry Osborn and Ned Leeds, haha, was killed as the original Hobgoblin. And this is Jason Massendale. Um, who might probably be one of the worst supervillains ever, uh, in my humble opinion, uh, scoring off. But, man, it did not matter because it's John McFarlane drawing the Goblins, 90s, yeah! That's me, like, getting all, like, imaged out there. I'm sorry, Dad. Yeah, yeah. Can I can I make a, uh, a confession? Sure. I am not a huge fan of uh, of the art in this issue. Oh my goodness! <gasps> oh my goodness! I think there's some wonderful things in terms of how they uh, Todd McFarlane utilizes the page in order to have Spider-Man swinging around on the back of the gliders. And I don't know that this is the first time we've seen him do that, um, but uh, 
that stuff is all fun, but I don't know. This one doesn't feel as polished to me as something like the Venom art, you know, story did in 300. There's just a looseness to the facial work in this. Um, like Harry looks kind of crazy. I don't know. Todd McFarlane is a, is a very interesting artist, but I think if we, if we are picking on Humberto Ramos for being exaggerative with Spider-Man's you know movements, I think this issue takes it to a whole other level. Yeah, you know, like it's 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 funny. It's you know, like you 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 hold dear what you loved as a child, and this was this was those these comics, you know. So it's hard for me to separate from that. It's Todd McFarlane. He's he was the artist that got me hooked on Spider Man initially. So I, it's hard for me to 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 pull away from that. But you know, trying to be somewhat objective, I can I, can, I get what you're saying. I mean, this was also um, this was coming at a period where. They were very clearly just trying to get McFarlane to illustrate every single classic villain in the in the Rogues Gallery because you had you had this issue, you had a Mysterio cover, you had a, a lizard cover, uh, you had a chameleon cover. I mean, like all like in rapid succession, and and you know I can I can hear Jim Salakrup in in the ballroom at Connecticut Comic Con talking about. You know, just how much she loved McFarlane and probably Salakrup was was, you know, laughing all the way to the bank as people just bought these comics in droves. I, I cannot say that like the art I can't objectively say the art is like not like it's I can say it's not one of my favorites, but I can't deny the influence that this artwork had on Spider-Man, you know, the way that he was depicted and the way he moves and and how the webs were depicted. So like, it's not like, I can't say it's a bad issue of artwork because it's probably a very influential one. And I think you can really see a lot of, um, Todd McFarlane's like early ideas about how to draw spawn, um, in this issue. Oh, especially with like the hobgoblins cape and stuff like that. I mean, it's very, you're right. It's very spawnish. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even the human faces are just as distorted as they are in spawn. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and and you know, like I said, and 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 you talked about it being influential and maybe visually, but you know, this was also kind of very emblematic of the, these comics, especially years later. In that, um, you know, we 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 remember these comics for the illustrations, and oh, there was a goblin issue with McFarlane, there was that lizard issue. We never really talk about the stories, and you know, nothing against Michelini, but I mean, you know, I I I, I think Michelini's best work was was definitely with iron man you know in the years preceding this like his demon in a bottle and armor wars and all that but you know by the time he got the spider-man i don't know i I never felt he clicked with the character and you know there's some good elements about the story i actually kind of like harry osborne's little um arc in this story but as a whole it's pretty you know like it's it's there's nothing to get crazy about and it has it really had no long-term impacts in terms of storyline purposes and nothing really happens here they just kind of sling themselves around the cityscape and and kind of do battle and harry's like you know what this was just a one-time thing even though spider-man kind of glibly is like hey i could use a partner which like seriously spider-man like right. speaking, speaking of bad ideas uh um, right. <laughs> that's that is the equivalent of spider-man bad idea genes <laughs> yeah yeah so um i don't know i mean the story's all right although it is interesting to see kind of it tie into the larger like inferno thing that was going on right right everything is crazy because it's yes. inferno yeah um, you have mary jane fighting off the gold that she's wearing um, right right 
and, and uh, you got to okay. Say what you will about McFarlane, but that 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 big spread of Mary Mary Jane and like the Cleopatra garb, right? Yeah, yeah. No, or, you're you're absolutely <laughs> right. Um, you know, McFarlane always had that going for him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, if only our significant others could hear us now. Oh, I know, I know. Um, I do find it funny that, you know, Mastendale is portrayed as such a incompetent bozo in this issue. And, you know, in our conversations with Jim Salacruff, he was basically, he was, he was already burnt out on the Hobgoblin by the time he got on the book. Because his first issue was Amazing 289 when it was revealed as Ned Leeds. And, you know, if this was the Internet age, it would have, you know... Salakrup probably would have gotten death threats on Twitter for such a reveal, uh, <laughs> or Peter David. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, the, the fans were angry with that one, from my understanding. But um, I, I, he, I did laugh when he was talking. Oh, I didn't want to use the Hobgoblin. We, we, we kept him out till Inferno, and you could just tell there was like no effort to make this character interesting again you know like it was just like yeah he's here and he's looking for the goblin serum what a tool <laughs> yeah right what a, what a lame like thing for him to do too yeah 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 i mean it's like and like what do you mean you didn't have it it's 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 not a it's not a great character moment that's for certain but, no not at all um but hey you know this is it's in our collections this was part of that big box of comics i always talk about that was in there uh, I do find it interesting that um, when you look at the the Overstreet Guide, that this this book is like four or five bucks more than all the all the other ones from that era. I mean, putting aside the Venom issues, which obviously have an inflated value, but you know, again, it's that McFarlane doing the Goblin. I'm telling you, that it, it just it's a draw. Whether whether you thought it was up the snuff or not, I mean, that was that was what made people probably buy this book. Yeah, and I got this issue. I actually got every single McFarlane issue. Um, on the same day, uh, I was digging through, uh, it was like a free comic book day. And the guy said like all like, you know, um, you know, all back issues are a dollar. And so I found this box that had all of McFarland's stuff in it. And I was like, all of them for a dollar. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, what about all these? And he's like, well, I did say a dollar and I'm not going to go back on my word. So I guess you can have them for a dollar. And I was like, yes. And then that local comic book shop went out of business. <laughs> but Dan got his McFarlane comics. Trust me, I've given them plenty of money through the through the years. Um, oh, is this your, your place? This is my place. Okay. Twilight Zone Comics. I can't push it enough. These guys give the best deals in comics. I, I got to say, a dollar each for every McFarlane. You see, I don't feel bad about getting this in my big box of comics because the store that these comics were, allegedly I purchased them from from a friend, but, you know, in reality, I think he just stole them and took my money. Uh, <laughs> they were, they all, like, I'm, like, I'm look, I, if I go back to the box, you can see the price tags on it. And they, I think they wanted like 30 bucks for this comic or something. And I was like, okay, that's, that's you know, and it's like a very, uh, uh, like a, you know, a mid-grade, like a very good fine um uh, great. I'm like, yeah, that's not worth 30 bucks. So, <laughs> so you got yours at a great discount. If I had actually paid for mine or paid face value for mine, I would have, you know, been raked over the coals. So, um, there we go again, McFarlane bringing people together. ASM three twelve, kind of forgettable, but still ties in with what we're talking about. Exactly. It's not forgettable because we're not forgetting it right now. No. So why don't we take on. it home, Dan? 
<laughs> of course, you can find all of our Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us by searching on iTunes for Superior Spider Talk. And if you do, please leave us a rating and a comment and let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. If you have any questions on these comics that we discussed today or you know any comments at all, please send them to us to superiorspidertalk at gmail.com. And of course, like we did today, again, we will address and read them on the air. Yep, and also be sure to check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk because it's a great place to keep up with us in between shows. And we often like to put articles up on it, uh, you know, things that we've written, other breaking news about the Spider-Verse. Of course, it's now really serving as a true feeder of information from superiorspidertalk.com. But I still throw some chasing amazing stuff up on there, too, from on, on the Facebook page. So hopefully that doesn't offend your sensibilities, Dan. Yeah, no, that's fine. And, uh, you know, I'm throwing things up there from superiorspidertalk.com. But I'm also going to throw up smaller things that I don't feel like it's really worth writing a whole news entry up on. So... You can really get all the spider news that Mark and I come across in our day and all the news on the podcast, like what um, issue we're going to be discussing next, like what retro issue or um, how to get in contact with us or any kind of like contest surprises we have. That's where you're going to get them. Sounds good to me, Dan. So, Dan, where can we find you on the interwebs? Of course, you can follow me and my personal Twitter account at, at Dan Gavazdan or dangavazdan.com. You can read my movie reviews on grindmyreels.com where I do a weekly Netflix recommendation and uh, about a weekly uh, movie review. This week I have a 1,800-word write-up on Lone Survivor, which I'm not a big fan of, and you can find out why there. And if you want to read any of my Spider-Man stuff, like my reviews of all the issues, you can go to superiorspidertalk.com or follow us on Twitter at SupSpiderTalk. Um, and this week we have some really awesome stuff on superiorspidertalk.com. We're starting up with all of our contributors are getting their own featured articles. And we have already run, you know, it's a great piece from Tyler Barlass. Um, you know, about the history of Spider-Man and Daredevil's friendship. And, Mark, you had one put up today. What was yours about again? Uh, yeah, mine is – it's a column called Feels Like the First Time. Uh, it's not about Foreigner, the band. Uh, instead, it's about uh, little fun little first uh, either appearances or moments or occurrences that are kind of played into a key uh, part of the Spider-Man mythos. In this case, I'm looking at the first time we had a hobgoblin revealed to be a fake hobgoblin, um, you know, kind of playing off what we had in Superior 26. So uh, if you want to read about um, – uh, oh, God, I almost said Lance Bannon. Um, <laughs> I'm forgetting who I'm writing about, Dan. Please, I'm having a senior moment. Lefty um, Donovan? Lefty Donovan. Woo! Yikes. If you want to read about Lefty Donovan and Amazing Spider-Man 245, I can remember the numbers of the books because that's just where my brain's at now. Uh, <laughs> you should definitely check out Feels Like the First Time and probably two two or three times a month you'll see some other of these little, uh, little first type articles that play into feels like a first time. Yeah, and we have one going up on Friday, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Rick Cost from the Spider-Man podcast, another podcast that he's been doing for a little while. He is um, doing some great pieces uh, a couple, every couple of weeks for us. Uh, villain Spotlight. So on Friday, we have a the Molten Man Spotlight, 
which is going to discuss the entire history of the character from his first appearance all the way up through his final appearance. I think you're going to like that quite a bit. That's that's, uh, that's I'm I'm down. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exciting stuff, and I've already read it, and I think it's a great article. So I think you're going to be tickled um, with that. I learned a couple things about the Molten Man, like when he had hair on top of his molten head. Yes, yes, I, I, I think I, I know what he's talking about there. Yeah, so Mark, where can we find you on the internet this week? Well, well of course, you know, if you're not reading me at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com, you should be checking me out on my home base, which is ChasingAmazingBlog.com, and uh, we, we, we kicked it off uh, earlier this week, and we'll be doing this all through February and March. I am in celebration of Goblin Nation. I'm doing my top ten Green Goblin storylines um, we'll be doing at least one of these entries a week, and you know, I, I, I will be honest. I'm, I'm trying to time this towards the near end of the superior era, just you know, because that's the kind of guy I am. But um, I, I hope that this list kind of generates some debate and some feedback from some of you. I've actually already gotten some on the first entry that went up, which was an honorable mention. So technically, eleventh place, which was Spectacular Spider-Man Magazine number two. Uh, which is uh, uh, the the second Ramita Stan Lee Goblin story uh, after ASM 39 and 40. Uh, but beyond Chasing Amazing, you can find me on Twitter at Chasing ASM Blog. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Chasing Amazing. And you can find me on my 90s gimmick comic book uh, column, Gimmick or Good, at Comics Should Be Good. Yeah, Mark, I had a great time reading that spectacular uh, Spider-Man magazine issue because or, or your post about it because I've never actually read that, and it was nice to see some images from that. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's it's vintage Ramita art, man. So um, definitely, I, I I've actually they reprinted it in an annual. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's an annual seven or eight or something. But you know, considering that it's an annual and annuals suck. They actually left out about 10 pages of the story. Um, so so not only are you paying for the reprint, but you're not even getting a full reprint. So, again, we collect annuals because... I'm not going to get into this with you, Mark. <laughs> we collect annuals because it says Amazing Spider-Man on the cover. No, Dan. We collect annuals because with great podcasts must also come Superior Spider-Talk. Nah. No.